So our text this evening is uh, John chapter 1, as we continue our, our study through the Gospel of John, which we just started. Our text is John 1, verses 6 through 13. Hear God's word. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The relationship between light and sight is an interesting one. Sight is really the brain's perception of light waves. When light reflects off of an object and enters into your eye, your brain interprets that light in such a way that an image is formed in your brain and you experience that as seeing that object. And as you know, there are some people who can't see. Their eyes don't work or the seeing part of their brain doesn't work right and so they are not able to experience the sense of sight. But notice, this doesn't mean that there still isn't light all around them. Light waves are continuing to bounce off of objects toward them, but their eyes or their their brain are simply not able to perceive that light. The light is there, objectively speaking, but subjectively they cannot tell that it is there. And in a similar way, Jesus is the true light who brings the truth of God's word to the world. Even though in his coming to the world, the true light had come, not everyone recognized him to be the light. Not all saw him for what he is. They were like the blind who have no idea that the light is even there shining on them. There were also those who interacted with Jesus and then refused to receive him as light. They are like the person who has eyes that can take in light, but this particular person doesn't like what he sees, and so he closes his eyes and refuses to accept what is being shown to him. This evening I direct your attention to verses that are taken as their theme, Jesus as the true light. This theme comes from verse 9, which states, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Before that we have verses which focus on the ministry of John the Baptist, as a man who bore witness about the light, and after declaring Jesus to be the true light, Verses 10 through 13 tell us about what kind of reception um, the Lord Jesus as light received. So under the theme of Jesus, the true light, I would direct your attention to three points. First, his witness. Second, his identity. And third, his reception. So we begin with his witness. We begin with verses 6 through 8, which tell us about the light's witness, who we are told in verse 6 was a man named John. He was a witness to the light, who was Jesus the Word, and his goal was that people would believe in Jesus through his witness. John was not the light, but merely a witness who testified about the light. And we notice right away the contrast between John and the Word to which we have just been introduced. 
Jesus is the eternal word. He is the creator of all things. God himself, as such, he is the source of all spiritual light and life. But John, by contrast, is a mere man sent from God. Scripture is clear that John is not the light, but rather one who merely came to testify about the light. But what we are told here about him and his role provides for us an ongoing description of the role of Christian ministers. So again, talking about John the Baptist, it says he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So notice that John didn't just show up one day as a witness because he had taken this role upon himself. Rather, as verse 6 explains, John was sent from God. And there's an important principle here that true ministers of Christ are not self-appointed. Even Jesus came as our Savior only after he was sent. In fact, the name Messiah brings out that he was God's anointed one, the one that God appointed to be our Savior. And when verse 9 tells us that Jesus was coming into the world, the idea is not simply that the Word was made incarnate and entered into our world, but that the Word, the Son of God, was made incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ by God's appointment. Jesus will say later in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Even Jesus was sent. The apostles were sent. In the Great Commission, Jesus sent them to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember the word apostle means sent ones. And our attention now is on how John was sent from God with a particular work that God had called him to do. His work was to be a witness. Literally, he came for testimony, for the purpose of testimony, with a further explanation that he came as a witness in order to testify about the light. And what is meant by testimony and testify are, as Hendrickson Hendrickson explains in his commentary, quote, to give competent testimony concerning uh, concerning that which one has himself seen, heard, or experienced. So it means to give competent testimony concerning what one has seen, heard, or experienced. And basically, the calling of ministers today is no different. Ministers are not priests. We are not mediators. We're not even primarily religious leaders. Ministers are witnesses. They are, their, their calling is to bear witness to God's truth, and especially to the truth regarding who Jesus is and what he came to do as he came to be the Savior of sinners through his death on the cross. It's also part of the witness of ministers to call people to respond appropriately to that light with faith and obedience. In other words, a minister is to have the same goal as John did, who bore witness, notice, in order that all might believe on Jesus through him. And I'm taking the through him to be through John. And while it's true that in an ultimate sense that Jesus, as God, grants sinners faith. Faith is a gift of God, yet it's not the wording of Scripture to say that people believe through Jesus, but rather people are called to believe in Jesus. The idea is not that John was a witness that all might believe in Jesus through Jesus, 
but rather John saw himself and his work of testifying as an instrument, an instrument that God, uh, he was hoping, would use to lead people to faith in Jesus. He was a forerunner to Jesus' coming, and he testified not only to the fact of Jesus' coming, but to what Jesus' coming would be about in terms of man's sin and salvation. Point you for a moment to Matthew's gospel. He sets forth the ministry of John the Baptist as a ministry of calling sinners to repentance in light of the coming Messiah. Uh, His work was to warn sinners of the wrath to come and to point them to Jesus as the way to escape that wrath. Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, records John the Baptist as proclaiming, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In those words, it's as though John is saying, I cannot actually wash away your sins. I can only offer you a baptismal ceremony of water that is geared to show you your need of cleansing from sin that should lead you to repent. And my goal is that you would know your need of the Savior to come so that when he comes, you will receive him in faith. He is the one that you are to trust for salvation because his baptism will be with the Holy Spirit. This is the real baptism of which only water baptism symbolizes. He is going to actually cleanse you spiritually from sin, even your hearts, as only the Holy Spirit of God can do. But there's also a baptism of fire for all who refuse to repent and reject his spiritual cleansing. And so it is that John brought to the forefront a principle regarding Jesus that John the Apostle also understood and will bring up again and again in his gospel, namely that Jesus' coming forces a distinction um, among the people of this world. His coming divides people into two camps, either those who know the word as the light by believing in him or those who don't. After Jesus' coming, people are either blessed by Jesus or they are condemned by Jesus. There is no middle or neutral ground. You are either for Jesus or you are against him. Either a person cleansed of your sin and saved through him, or a sinner who either doesn't know him or rejects him, but either way ends up being baptized by Jesus with the fires of hell. Every true minister of the gospel bears witness about who Jesus is and why he came with the goal that all might believe in Jesus. Ministers and all who testified about Jesus. We don't know who the elect are. Um, Ministers don't know who might believe. They simply know that all sinners need Jesus. And that faith comes by hearing the word, and consequently they proclaim that word as broadly as possible. And anyone who repents, anyone who receives Christ in faith, will be saved. But in the end, it's not up to a witnessing minister to determine what people will do with Jesus. No minister of the word can make people believe. All he can do is testify to Jesus and in that way point people to him and call them to receive him in faith. But all witnesses of Christ, and this would include even you and and your calling as, 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 as disciples of Christ, you are to have as your goal that people will believe in Jesus 
through your testifying. As what all ministers of Jesus desire, pray for, and work for. But as John will say, people actually become children of God only by the sovereign will of God. So that brings us to the first point of his witness. Come then secondly to his identity. Regardless of what sinners do with Jesus, he is worthy of faith, for he is the true light. In light, uh, in scripture, light is associated with truth, with love, with illumination, with enlightenment, with knowledge, with wisdom. Jesus is the source of these things in a fallen world of people with darkened minds who love sin. John, in the verses before us this evening, is building on what he has already said in verses 4 and 5. There he said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that word overcome in the Greek basically means to lay hold of. And the idea is that the darkness has not laid hold of or taken hold of the light to stop it or to destroy it. Or the idea is that the darkness has has not laid hold of it in faith, has not laid hold of the word, has not laid, laid hold of, of the light that, that is in Christ in faith. And I prefer that latter interpretation. Jesus is the source of all spiritual life, as well as the light that is always connected with eternal life, light that belongs to this life and, in fact, produces this life. There's no eternal life without the light of God's word shining on us. It's also true that light cannot be seen. It cannot be appropriated without the life that comes through the word. And so the result is that those in darkness do not respond appropriately to the light. Think for a moment of the sinner who is in this state of spiritual darkness. He hears the word of God as someone testifies to him about Jesus. By himself, apart from Christ in his spirit, that sinner is in darkness. And so what he hears is going to be rejected as meaningless or, in some cases, as offensive. But either way, he rejects the light of God's word. But just when you may think that that sinner is forever doomed to judgment, God may use that word to enlighten that man's understanding. And as a result, he receives the light of God's word. And he sees his need of Christ and he believes in him. The life that he has received is the light. It's really the light that God in grace has given to him to receive Christ unto salvation. The point is that in the person of Christ, and as he gathers his elect, light and life cannot be separated. John puts it this way, and the life was the light of men. It's a light that shines in the darkness When it's seen, there is life. Light especially is used in Scripture in connection with wisdom and understanding, with an ability to understand spiritual things. To be in darkness is to be spiritually dead, where you don't understand spiritual things. So, for example, the person who thinks that Jesus is only a good man, who taught good things, who's a good teacher, that person is in darkness as to who Jesus really is as the eternal word, God himself who created all things. The person who thinks that he is a good person 
doesn't need a savior from sin, is in darkness about his true spiritual condition. The book of Acts in uh, chapter 19 tells us that in Ephesus, which is where John lived when he wrote this gospel, we believe, were, were people who had been baptized into John's baptism and did not know about Jesus. That's an interesting problem, isn't it? They'd been baptized into John's baptism but didn't know about Jesus. They apparently thought there was something special about John himself so that to receive his baptism brought them closer to God. Or perhaps their thinking was that by receiving John's baptism of repentance and by having sorrow over their sin, they had done all that was necessary to be cleansed and to be saved from judgment. And Paul explained to these folks that John told the people he baptized to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And as Paul explained these things to to these people who had only known John's baptism, they listened to what Paul told them and recognizing the incompleteness of what they had done up until then, ended up being rebaptized by being baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And John here in his gospel is probably thinking of this same group of people and there were probably others like them who had misunderstood the purpose of John the Baptist's ministry probably thinking there was salvation in John through, the, the, through his baptism of repentance. And so they had thought that just in hearing John and in being baptized, they were being exposed to the light. And along these same lines, there have been many beliefs through the ages that people think they, 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 think they belong to the light. There are many beliefs and even entire religions that claim to be from God and to show us the way of salvation. And inevitably, the religious beliefs that the world holds forth as light for our path say that we don't need a Savior to take the punishment of our sins for us. Their idea of the light that will provide sinner, that will uh, provide a salvation for sinners and guide sinners is simply to tell them how to live as good, ethical, moral people. In the world's religions, there may be some element of repentance where you confess you're not perfect and that you've done wrong things, but you are told that by doing a few good works, by being religious, you can atone for your sins and make yourself right with God. This is the so-called light that the religious of the world offer. In contrast, Jesus, we are told, is the true light. He is the one who brings the truth of God himself. More than that, he is the actual object of faith, so that to know him is to have light. The point is that as the true light, he is the real light. He is the genuine light who in his very person reveals God as well as the one and only way of being right with God. As the true light, and not just a messenger of the true light, Jesus never called people simply to believe in his teaching, but he called them to believe in him. So is Jesus a light to everyone? There's been a lot of debate among Bible students as to what is meant in verse 9 when it says that Jesus there gave light to everyone. It says the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And basically the meaning that a person adopts has to do with whether or not this giving of light is considered to be subjective or Objective, and let me explain the difference. So there are some who take verse 9 to be saying that Jesus gives light to all people in a subjective sense in their own experience. 
Some explain this as a giving of spiritual revelation and understanding that, that shines into people's hearts and, and changes them, giving them spiritual understanding. And so, for example, we are told by, the, by some that Jesus gives the spiritual illumination of salvation to every human being dwelling on earth without exception. Well, if you think about it, that kind of illumination would result in everyone being saved and no one coming under the judgment of God and going to hell. And we're, we're talking about then universal salvation, but that's something that is clearly not taught in Scripture. And, it's, and, and even here in these verses we are considering, we are told something very different. We are told in verse 5 that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness here refers to the darkness of a world of sinners who either try to snuff out the light of Christ or who do not appropriate or receive that light. And John will say in verse 10 that the world did not know him. Verse 11 says that his own people did not receive him, that only those who receive him are children of God. And so giving light to everyone cannot mean that the word gives the light of spiritual illumination in a saving way to everyone, for clearly not everyone knows and not everyone receives the light. There are others who don't go quite that far, but still say Jesus gives spiritual understanding to all people, but they, they talk about this, this understanding in terms of general revelation. So they take verse 9 as saying that by means of a revelation that goes to all people in the world through creation, Jesus gives a degree of spiritual understanding to all men without exception. Now that is true in and of itself. Um, Romans 1 teaches us that by means of creation, all people know. They know that there is a God, and they know enough about him so that when they go on to reject him, they are without excuse when they face God's judgment. The question, though, is whether this is the revelation that John has in mind. And part of what helps us to answer this question is to understand that the light that is given to everyone is a light that is connected not with creation, but with Jesus coming into the world. I would offer, as the translation of verse 9, these words, the true light was existing who shines upon every man by coming into the world. Say that again. The true light was existing who shines upon every man by coming into the world. So the shining upon every man is by means of Jesus coming into the world. And the interpretation of verse 9 that I would offer and defend is that this giving of light is not a subjective granting of understanding to all men's hearts, but rather an objective shining of light upon all men. So the picture is not of a light shining inside of people's hearts, driving out their darkness, but of a light shining on people so that they are confronted objectively with the truth of who Jesus is. What I'm asserting is that this is not a giving of light to all men, but a shining of light upon all men that forces people into one of two categories. Those saved and those under judgment. Those who receive Christ and those who do not. One of the themes that John will bring us back to again and again is the idea that Jesus, as the light of the world, exposes people for who they are. As people in John's day interacted directly with Christ, today as people hear ministers and disciples of Christ testify about Christ, or even as people read about Christ in the Bible, they are exposed. 
as being people of faith or not. For everyone upon whom Jesus shines in the gospel are forced to reckon with Christ. The light shines, therefore, um, wherever Jesus goes. And a people's darkness is exposed for what it is as rebellion against God. People either receive Christ in faith or they choose to remain in darkness. And John will later, in fact, very soon in his gospel account, describe how people hate the darkness because they don't want their evil deeds to be exposed by Christ's light. So then how are we to understand this shining on everyone? Well, there's first the idea that Jesus, as the true light, shines in the gospel upon all who hear the gospel, whether Jew or Gentile. So the Greek can mean that the light shines, okay, yeah, it could be translated on everyone, where we're thinking of every single person head for head, but a very legitimate translation would, could also be that the light shines on all kinds of people, all of the different races, peoples of the world, for which John would have meant the entire world, including both Jews and Gentiles. There's a sense in which the light of Jesus does shine on all people in the proclamation of the gospel to all races. God has told us in his word that he wants the gospel of Jesus Christ to be proclaimed to the whole world, that is, to people of every tribe and tongue and nation. In fact, that he will gather his elect from all nations. This would mean the everyone refers to all races of people in the world, Jew and Gentile. Everyone can also be taken in an absolute sense from the perspective of Jesus as judge. There's a sense in which Jesus will be the light that shines on everyone as judge. When on judgment day, literally every human being will stand before him and he will expose where they stand in relation to him. Those who love Christ and who have lived for him will be divided and distinguished from those who loved and lived for self. It will not matter what people have said and done outwardly to appear one way or another. Jesus, as the light of the world, will expose all of the thoughts and intentions of men's hearts. He will expose even deeds done in darkness that no one else knows about. All will stand before Christ. All will have to give an account of what they have done with God's word. For those who knew only the word of God's general revelation and yet refused to worship God and give him thanks, they will have no excuse for their rejection of God. For those who have heard the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ by being exposed to the light of the gospel, their rejection then of that intenser light of special revelation will result in even greater judgment. This means that the light shining into the darkness is not a good thing for everyone. Light shines upon every man for judgment, to reveal what he is. And if Jesus shines his light on you, and you are revealed to be a child of God, great. But if not, there's only a future of punishment that awaits. This brings us to our third point, his reception. It's evident from scripture that the mere fact of the true light coming into the world and shining on everyone doesn't mean that everyone's going to have a right understanding of Christ. John makes this very point when he tells us that many have had this light shine on them, but they responded as people of darkness. The fact is that not all who are exposed to the light have life. But if you are given life, 
you will know and you will receive the true light, thus experiencing the light of men in a saving way. Remember, the goal of John's ministry was that all might believe. But we know that not all who hear testimony about Jesus do believe. We as believers testify to a world in darkness about Jesus, our desire is that they will believe, and yet sadly, many do not. But what if the light of the world were to appear in person? Verse 10 tells us that the word was in the world. This is referring to Christ's earthly life and ministry. The creator, the word himself, entered into his own creation, coming into the very world that he made. And we might think that there would be no way people wouldn't know him for who he is as God the creator, the divine word. As we think of the world of Gentiles who did not, as a rule, have special revelation. And as we consider them, as John does, as people in darkness, it's not surprising in a certain sense that they did not know or acknowledge who Jesus was when he came. A lot of this had to do with how he came. He didn't come in some outwardly glorious way that displayed his divine nature, but he rather emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. I would argue that the world was not expected to recognize and acknowledge him merely on the basis of his appearing as a man. In verse 10, John states the fact that the world did not know him. But in verse 11, it tells us more specifically what happened in a way that condemns man's darkness. It says he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Born a Jew, he appeared to the Jewish people, a people who had for centuries received divine revelation that told of the world's coming. That word told of the word's identity as both God and man. It explained that the coming Christ would suffer in atoning for sin. There were a number of prophecies given that concerned the details of his life. Enough light had been shown through special revelation Enough light had been shined on his own people to leave them without excuse in not recognizing him. Not only that, but there were Jesus' miracles that in themselves were light revealing his divinity. But what did the Jews as a whole do? They did not receive him. The world is like the blind man who can see nothing of the light of Christ. They had the light of general revelation, but they did not have the light that had to do with Christ and the gospel. But the Jews, on the other hand, had the greater light of special revelation. They were like the person who can see, but then closes his eyes. The objective truth of who Jesus is shone upon them, but they closed their eyes to the truth and rejected him. And thus the whole world is condemned as not knowing and receiving him. For if the Jews with all of their privileges did not receive him, no one else would either. And thus man's darkness is established. A darkness that we must remember is a darkness that we brought upon ourselves through the fall. Well, we might think that that's the end of the story, but with verse 12, we find that there's an exception or exceptions to all of this. With verse 12, the seemingly hopeless situation is altered. There are a few who receive him. They receive him by believing in his name. So to receive Christ is 
to exercise faith in him. It is to believe in him. They receive him in faith as their savior from sin. They receive him in faith as their source of light and life, their word from God. And to such as believe in him, anyone who does this, we're told he gives the right to become children of God. The wording that John uses in verses 12 and 13 is very uniquely geared to counter the typical thinking of the Jews. For they consider themselves to be God's children by virtue of their physical descent from Abraham. And what John asserts is that you become a child of God, you become one by means of believing in Jesus. In other words, you are not a child of God simply by being born into the Jewish race or being born into a covenant family. Um, That some are given the right to become a child of God means that not all people inherently have this right. It is a privilege that belongs only to those who believe in the name of Jesus. John introduces the idea of the new birth here in verse 13 when he speaks of the children of God being born. And John is again speaking against the idea of God's children simply Uh, the idea of of people being God's children simply by human birth into a believing race or family. He says that those who are born into the family of God are not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God's children do not owe their existence to having the blood of a Jew or of any person of any other race, nor because a man and a woman decided to have a family And figure that because these children are born into the covenant, they are automatically God's children. Nor because of a husband's decision to have a child and raise him in a godly home. The decision for a sinner to become a child of God is God's decision. He alone gives the right to become children of God. He gives that right to whomever he pleases. And you can know that he has granted that right when a person welcomes Jesus as the true light in faith. So, important question to ask and to be considering this evening is, are you a child of God? Maybe you wonder, am I a child of God? Do you have eyes to see who Jesus is as the divine word and true light? Have you received his revelation and are you looking to him for eternal life? Do you know him for who he really is and have you received him? Have you received him in faith? Have you put your hope and trust in him alone for eternal life? Putting your trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. If not, then you are in darkness and you are not a child of God. But if yes, then you have been given the right to become a child of God. And such you are. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the true light, that he brings to us the truth of who you are, for he is eternal God. He is our God. Um, Father, we thank you that he came, and uh, we are given here in these words a very dire picture of the spiritual state of mankind, that by nature we are in darkness, that we are those who are not going to know Jesus, we're not going to receive him, but we thank you, Father, that by your grace, by decision that you have made even from eternity, there are those who recognize Jesus for who he is, who trust in him, who receive eternal life.
Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that there are children of God, children who belong to you, belong to your family. And Father, we thank you for the faith that you've granted us. Thank you for giving us eyes to see that Jesus is our God. He is our creator. He is our, our word, our truth, the source of all light and life. Lord, if there are any here who do not know Christ in this way, Lord, we pray that you would tear away this darkness, that they would see the light that is shining through the gospel upon them. The, the truth is there. But Father, may they see it and receive it. And uh, Father, we pray that this, this light would continue to be spread throughout the world in the proclamation of the gospel, that this light would shine on all people of every tribe and tongue and nation. And uh, Father, we pray that there would be many who would come to Christ. We know that many will be judged because they have seen the light and, and did not receive it. The light shone upon them and they didn't want it. But Father, we, we pray that many will, by your grace, receive it and will know Christ as Savior. Father, may we be those who testify to our Savior and our, our desires that many would believe. In fact, that all that hear of, the, of Christ through us would believe. But we know that in the end, we have to leave the results to you. But Father, we do plead that there would be many who would be spared from darkness, who would be spared from judgment. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.